ಶನ್ನೋ ಮಿತ್ರಣ ಶನ್ನೋಭವತ್ವರ್ಯಮಂದ್ರ ಬೃಹಸ್ಪತಿ ಶನ್ನೋ ವಿಷ್ಣುರುಕ್ರಮ ನಮೋ ಬ್ರಹ್ಮಣೆ ನಮಸ್ತೆ ಪ್ರತ್ಯಕ್ಷ ಬ್ರಹ್ಮಸಿ ಪ್ರತ್ಯಕ್ಷ ಬ್ರಹ್ಮ ವದಿಷ್ಯಾಮಿ ಋತ ವದಿಷ್ಯಾಮಿ ಸತ್ಯಂ ವದಿಷ್ಯಾಮಿ ತನ್ಮಾವಧು ತದ್ವಕ್ತಾರಮವಧು ಮಾತು ವಕ್ತಾರ ಶಾಂತಿಶಾಂತಿಶಾಂತಿಹನಾವಧು ಸಹನೋ ಭುನಕ್ತು ಸಹ ವೀರ್ಯಂಕರವಹೈ ತೇಜಸ್ವಿನಾವಧೀತಮಸ್ತು ಮಾವಹೈ ಶಾಂತಿಶಾಂತಿಶಾಂತಿಭ್ಯೋಧ್ಯಮೃತಾತ್ಸಂಬೂವ ಸೇಂದ್ರ ಮೇಧಯಸ್ಪೃಣೋ ತಸ್ಯಧಾರಣೋಭೂಯಸ ಶರೀರ ಮೇ ವಿಚರ್ಷಣ ಜಿಹ್ವಾ ಮೇ ಮಧುಮತ್ತಮ ಕರ್ಣಾಭ್ಯಾಂಭೂರಿ ವಿಶ್ರುವ ಬ್ರಹ್ಮಣ ಕೋಶಿ ಮೇಧಯಾತ ಮೇ ಗೋಪಾಯ ಶಾಂತಿಶಾಂತಿಶಾಂತಿ ಅಹಂ ವೃಕ್ಷರೇರಿವ ಕೀರ್ತಿ ಪೃಷ್ಠಂಗಿರೇರಿವ ಊರ್ಧ್ವಪವಿತ್ರೋವಾಜಿನೀವಸ್ವೃತಮಸ್ಮೆ ದ್ರವಿಣಗುಂಸವರ್ಚಸ ಸುಮೇಧಾಮೃತೋಕ್ಷಿತೇತ್ರಿಶಂಕೋರ್ವೇದಾನುವಚನ ಶಾಂತಿಶಾಂತಿಶಾಂತಿ ಪೂರ್ಣಮದೂರ್ಣಮಿದೂರ್ಣಾತ್ಪೂರ್ಣಮುದೇ ಪೂರ್ಣಮೇವಶಿಷ್ಯದೇಶಾಂತಿಶಾಂತಿಶಾಂತಿಶ್ರುತಿಸ್ಮೃತಿಪುರಾಣಲಯಂಕರುಣ
आत्मेरे मूर्ति भेद विभागिने व्योमवत व्याप्त देहाय दक्षिणामूर्तये नमः अखंडम सच्चिदानंदम अखंडम सच्चिदानंदम अवांग मनसगोचरम अवांग मनसगोचरम आत्मानमखिलाधारम आत्मानमखिलाधारम आश्रये भीष्ट सिद्धये आश्रये भीष्ट सिद्धये अर्थतोप्यद्वयानंदान अर्थतोप्यद्वयानंदान अतीतद्वैतभानगह अतीतद्वैतभान गुरूनाराध्य वेदांत गुरूनाराध्य वेदांत सारम वक्ष्ये यथामदे सारम वक्ष्ये यथामदे Now we start here a new section which is called chapter 5 here the steps to self realization as it says the page 104 Iyata granthajalayana pratipadyasya by the text that we have studied so far what has been primarily done is pratyagabhinna paramananda akhanda chaitanyasya so this so far we have been told last section in particularly analyze the so called mahavakya the major statement tatvamasi that thou art aham brahmasmi i am brahman and how and it was also shown how is the identity actually seen or how is the identity possible between aham who generally stands for jiva and brahma that is the limitless how is it possible that there can be identity between the two how can it be i am brahma so this was analyzed in great detail while discussing the mahavakya tatvamasi that thou art as i said that stands for ishwara the lord the omniscient omnipotent omnipresent and tvam stands for this jiva who is limited in every respect and the statement reveals an identity between the two that you in fact are brahma and my idea of brahma god is the one i know brahman god as a conscious principle but in all this these attributes of all knowledge all power all pervasiveness that is brahma that is god and i am little knowledge little power in every way little how is it possible that i am brahma that to say this idea of littleness arises not because littleness is inherent in the self but there is littleness in what we call the upadi that is his body mind intellect equipment and that littleness is superimposed upon the i and therefore i have a sense of littleness about myself and similarly also largeness so limitlessness is the largeness <clears throat> so ishwara everything is big large that largeness or bigness or totality this idea also is not inherent in brahma which is conscious principle but that also is attributed of what we call the upadi the maya the totality of all the upadi and that is how this idea of littleness and largeness come in our mind 
And therefore, when I look upon myself from the standpoint of this body, then I am a little being. Or when I evaluate myself from the standpoint of the mind, I am a little being. And from that standpoint alone, Ishwara is a large being. But when that standpoint is not there, when I see myself as devoid of any standpoints, then it is Paramananda Akhanda Chaitanyam. I am Chaitanyam Akhanda Chaitanyam. Unbroken, undivided consciousness, without the division between the Jiva and Ishwara or the Self and Brahman, Paramananda. And it is of the nature of Ananda, of the nature of happiness, fullness. Paramananda, Ananda or happiness that is limited by nothing. So that limitless happiness, the unbroken or undivided consciousness, that is what I am and that is what is Brahma. When the standpoints of this Upadhi are given up, meaning they are given up is not a physical process to recognize that this Upadhi is not an inherent it's not inherently connected why I am a Sangha, meaning I am unconnected. Upadi is something like a costume that an actor wears, and therefore, even though appearing to be, assuming a certain role remains inherently separate from that. And thus, when I see my real identity as I am Chaitanyam, and that's what Brahma is, then this identity, this is why Lakshana, Vrutti, etc., it was shown how this is to be understood. <coughs> And that understanding that the student had was expressed by him in the statement, Aham Brahmasmi, I am Brahman. And then a long discussion was there as to what is the nature of this knowledge, how in fact this knowledge has to take place in the mind. All the students. So there are statements of the Shruti or Upanishad which says that this is beyond the mind in words. But there are a number of statements which also say that it is to be known by the mind. So when the mind is directed out there, then by that mind of the words it is beyond the reach. But when the mind is focused upon the self, then that very mind has the ability to see this fact that I or the self is limitless. And so this fact has to be seen. The fact is that I am limitless, but that does not help me or does not bless me unless I see that fact. Like those fellows walking on the treasure which is buried in the ground and not knowing that there is all the treasure, you walk on it every day and you have no benefit of the treasure which is right there and so also this treasure which is the very self, that benefit is not there unless we come to see this fact and the seeing this fact, knowing this fact, apprehending this fact is important and that should happen. Sakshatkara lakshanam akhandakara antahkanavruttim so now the next section addresses itself as to what should we do in order that this knowledge takes place. This knowledge or this, this is vritti. Any form of knowledge is, is a mental mode. Like any knowledge that takes place of any object outside also is a modification of the mind. Like ghata, jnanam, patajnanam, knowledge of chair, knowledge of tree and any of these perceptions and the cognitions that take place there the mind assumes the more which is corresponding to the object. So mind assumes the form of that object and that is how that object is revealed and that's how I know that object. And similarly also the object here is Brahman which is a self and that's will be revealed by the mind. Except that Brahman the self is self-effulgent and therefore there is no need of revealing this. The mind reveals the objects outside 
mind does not reveal Brahman in that sense because for objects of the outside, mind is like a lamp. So just as we require two aspects, two things in order to see an object which, you know, we, we require a lamp in order to dispel the darkness outside and we require the eyes also to illumine the, to see the lamp. So to see an object, two kinds of lights are required, the light of the lamp as well as the light of the eyes. However, to see the lamp itself, you don't require light of another lamp because the lamp, lamp is self-effulgent. And similarly also, the light of the mind in the sense that the mind has to see this fact, but Brahman is not revealed by the mind because Brahman or the self is self-effulgent. And thus this peculiarity of the knowledge also is revealed in technical terms by saying that there is what we call vritti vyapti but not phalavyapti. Vritti vyapti means when the vritti or the mind pervades an object. Mind assumes the form of an object, that is vritti vyapti. And phalavyapti is when that mind reveals that object or illumines the object. Here that mind doesn't have to reveal the object because object namely self is self-revealing. And so this is how the knowledge has to take place. One has to know the, know the Brahman as the self, as not an object of knowledge, as the very witness, as the one that reveals everything, as the very self. This knowledge or conviction has to arise. <coughs> and for this knowledge to take place, now, what is the sadhanam? What is the means? Pratipipavaishuhu tat sadhana bhuta samanadehe avasya anushtetvam here in the next session, next section the author says how it is necessary or imperative that certain specific means must be undertaken by the seeker of knowledge. There is this, what we call the sadhanam, the spiritual practice is alright. But in order for this knowledge to take place, in order for me to know the true nature of myself, a specific kind of spiritual practices must take, must be adopted. Avasya anushtayatum sadhanam. This sadhana the means must be necessarily undertaken. Tesham lakshanani chakramena dashayati. And what are those means? And what is the characteristic of those means? That is what the next section describes. As we said, if you want water from the ground, you have to dig the well. And how long should you dig? Until you get the water. So long. So for getting the water from the ground, then digging whether you dig it manually or by a machine, whatever, but digging the ground or is the way of getting the water. And so also, and you should pursue that until you get the result. And so also, this must be pursued until this knowledge takes place. And that alone must be pursued. If you keep on digging the well here and 15 feet and disappointed, another 15 feet there and another 10 feet, you are not going to get water. And it is digging that you have to do and not flying up in the air, etc., that will get you water from the ground. So just as from, for getting water from the ground, a specific method must be adopted and pursued until one gets the result. And so also, for gaining this knowledge, a specific method or a specific path is laid out and that must be pursued by the student until the knowledge takes place. So what is that path and what are the various steps involved and what are the characteristics of those steps? This is what is being now discussed in the next section. We go to the passage 181 on the page 104. Evam bhuta, Evam bhuta.
स्वरूपचैतन्य साक्षात्कारपर्यन्तम् साक्षात्कारपर्यन्तम् श्रवण मनन निदिध्यासन समाधि अनुष्ठानस्य अपेक्षितत्वा तेपी प्रदर्शन्ते एवं भूत स्वस्वरूप चैतन्य साक्षात्कार पर्यंतम पर्यंतम अंतिल साक्षात्कार साक्षात्कार मीन्स रियलाइजेशन ऑफ सीइंग साक्षात मीन्स इमीडिएट साक्षात्कार दर इमीडिएट नॉलेज therefore for knowledge of the self this word is often used called sakshatkara we see the objects like the chair and table etc which is called perception pratyaksha but we don't see the self in that manner because self cannot be illumined by the sense organs it doesn't it is not an object cannot be objectified and therefore brahman is to be known not as a chair or a table as an object of knowledge something that is objectified by the sense organs of the mind it is to be known as the self and there has to be what we call the immediate knowledge and that is called sakshatkara sakshatkaram making it immediate and therefore that immediate knowledge has to take place and sakshatkara paryantam until the sakshatkara or immediate knowledge takes place of what swaswarupa chaitanyasya of chaitanyam or the awareness or the consciousness understand that when we use the word awareness or consciousness don't take that to be a state of mind because that's the way in which the words normally awareness and consciousness are employed that i'm aware of a chair and i'm conscious of something but when i'm aware of chair that awareness is in my mind and therefore of chair awareness is a state of mind or some tree consciousness also is a state of mind so usually the word consciousness is employed as a state of mind <coughs> chaitanyam doesn't mean that yes so that which inherent in every form of knowledge there is a chair knowledge there is a table knowledge there is a tree knowledge there is a book knowledge so these are all the various forms of knowledges so book knowledge is nothing but or chair knowledge is that disposition or that dis- that state of mind which illumines the object called chair but how how does the mind gain the ability to illumine an object because mind itself is not so mind is able to illumine its object when the consciousness or awareness or chaitanya or the self is reflected in the mind and that's what gives the ability to the mind to illumine its objects so that because of which the mind illumines yen manasara manude yen ahur manomatam that which cannot be comprehended by the mind but that because of which the mind comprehends that because of which the sense organs of the mind are able to illumine their objects it is that light that we are talking about that's the light of knowledge which is also called consciousness or awareness which is unconditioned so that same awareness or consciousness which in its true nature is unconditioned becomes as though conditioned when it becomes chair knowledge or it becomes tree knowledge and that conditioned consciousness illumines objects such as chair tree whatever like the existence sat is existence pure existence 
which cannot be objectified, which cannot be perceived, because it is a very self. That very existence, when gets conditioned through a name and form, then we call it table. So what is table is nothing but existence, conditioned by a given name and form. What we call tree is nothing again, but the same, way, I mean, existence, conditioned by another name and form. And similarly also, what we call the knowledge, the objective knowledge, is that awareness, very existence which itself is awareness, when it gets conditioned by name and form, then we call it the particular knowledge. So usually when we use the word consciousness or awareness, it is employed in the sense of particular knowledge, knowledge of a thing, whereas what we mean by consciousness in this context is not the particular knowledge, but that non-particular or knowledge what we call the unconditioned or unqualified knowledge which is inherent in and through every form of knowledge. Like the crystal may appear of different colors like red and yellow and whatever, but the redness, yellowness is the conditioning of the crystal and that which is inherent in red crystal and yellow crystal is the colorless or pure crystal and so also what is inherent in every form of knowledge is a pure unconditioned awareness which is called Chaitanyam. <coughs> Swaswarupa, and that is Swa. Swa means my own Swarupa, means my own true nature. So what is my own true nature? It's nothing but that unconditioned, unqualified awareness. That is what I am. And all the qualifications about I, that I am a man, that I am a woman, I am bright and I am dull, and I'm whatever I am, all of those are nothing but that pure I, conditioned by a given name and form or given situation and that's how that same I gets conditioned that is called ego so what is ego the individuality is nothing but that pure I being conditioned by a name and form since we don't have so many words therefore we use the word I also for ego because that's what we know to be I today and we also use the word I for that pure awareness which is the true nature of the self or the content or essence of the ego. Just as the crystal keeps on appearing in different colors and so the ego keeps on appearing, you know, in different ways. Now happy, now unhappy, now doer, now enjoyer. So ego appears in all these different forms. What is the inherent, what is the essence or the inherent content of each one of this? That is what we call so what is that thread that connects every form of ego? Ego is a particularized I. When the I associated with, I is associated with a given name and form, then it's called ego. What is the essence of the ego? What's the content of the ego? Like the gold, when it is particularized, it is called ornament. And thus there are so many ornaments, each ornament being different from the other. So also each manifestation of ego is different from another manifestation. Now happy is an unhappy, but then in and through all the ornaments, what's the content of the essence is gold, and so also, what is the essence? Or that which is the, uh, that which cannot be negated, the non-negatable, the irreducible aspect of I, which is not subject to negation, that is the pure essence. As we say, regardless of what you do with the ornament, just as ornament can never get away from gold, or that gold cannot be denied, you can change the name and form the ornament, and so also, whatever form the ego may assume, that which cannot be denied is the essence, and that is 
Swarupa Chaitanyam. That's one's own nature, my own true essence, and that is pure, unqualified, unconditioned awareness. Pure and simple. Simplest that you can, beyond imagination. Simpler than the simplest. So existence, simpler than the simplest. Awareness, simpler than the simplest. That's the reason why we have to become simple. You see, to gain this knowledge, one has to become extremely simple. Slightest of complication or angularity or, or distortion in there denies me this because the self is so simple and transparent that person's personality also should become simple and transparent. And that is how the mind has to become. That's what we discussed yesterday, the sattvic mind. Sattva, rajas and tamas. The rajas and tamas. Rajas is and tamas are like the disturbing elements. Those, those which pollute the mind or contaminate the mind or make the mind uh, like the water is made dirty. So also the mind also is made polluted by this. When these polluting elements slowly and slowly leave, then the mind remains what we call sattvic or a transparent medium which reflects the self. <coughs> so that is already assumed here. In the, the steps that are described, this step is not described. <coughs> that purification of the mind, etc., that is not the subject matter of this text. This text already assumes a seeker. As I said, Adhikari too. It was said right in the beginning. Adhikari or the qualified student is the one who is sadhana chatushtha sampanna possessed of the fourfold qualification, namely, you know, nitya, nitya, vastu, vivega, discrimination, etc. And so this one is assumed to be an adhikari. So, largely those kind of qualifications or that purity of the mind one possesses. So for that, we have to, how, how to become, how to gain that mind, which is the transparency or simplicity or purity, for that, we have to go to Karma Yoga, etc., the other text. But this text does not deal with that. It just assumes, it starts from that, that here is a student who possesses that kind of mind. And that student, therefore, who is capable of understanding. And what should be done in order to... Chaitanya Sakshatkara, seeing one's nature as it is, Sakshatkara, immediately... The nature which is Swarupa the Chaitanya, meaning the awareness, unconditioned awareness that I am, the Sakshatkar or the immediate knowledge, until it takes place. Shravana manana niridhyasana samadhi anusthanasya apekshatatvat. Apekshatatvat. Since there is an apeksha or a necessity, an expectation, there is a need for, for following these means. Shravana manana Nididhyasana Samadhi. This author adds one, one more thing. We know three. Shravana, Manana, Nididhyasana. Shravana literally means listening. Manana literally means reflecting, dwelling upon, thinking about. And Nididhyasana means meditating. So listening, reflecting, meditating and it's one more samadhi samadhi means absorption so these are the four it's actually one but having these four stages let us say shravana manana 
nididhyasana and samadhi. Listening, reflecting, meditating and being absorbed. Anusthanasya apekshitatvat. Since anusthana or pursuing these means, apekshitatvat, since it is expected, since it is necessary to do that. Unless this is done, the knowledge cannot take place. Even often people ask, Swamiji, here is certain such saint says that all you have to do is to just keep on repeating the name of Lord and everything will happen. And somebody says, well, you keep on concentrating your mind somewhere and things will happen. So most people talk about things happening. That you invoke some energy within yourself or you may concentrate in a certain way or meditate in some way or you repeat some names or do some prayers and worship and meditation etc. And things will happen. But Vedantin says, no, things will not happen. Meaning, one is to do what is necessary in order to see the truth. The truth already obtains and therefore we don't have to create it, we don't have to invoke it, we don't have to do anything with it. We have to see, see it as it is. And therefore, the mind must attain what we call the seeing mode. For gaining perception, simple perception of any object, I should be, my, I'm, my mind is just available to see. And similarly also my mind is available to see. That is when the mind sees. And so for that, whatever preparation is required, that preparation is necessary. Shravana, Manana, Nididhyasana and Samadhi. This is a, these are the steps of the preparation that is required. Apekshitatvat. And it is only through these means that the knowledge can take place and not through any other means. Not that some miracle or something will happen and all of a sudden knowledge will dawn on. These steps have to be pursued. It is true that it may take the length of time during, I mean, for which you should pursue. This will vary with different people depending upon the preparation of mind. But then, these are the steps that one should pursue. Tebhi <coughs> Pradarshande In fact, the whole text is over. Nothing more remains to be written. So, author feels Tebhi Pradarshande. Even these also, that Shravana, Manana, Nidhyasana, Samadhi. And since they are required in order for this knowledge to take place, therefore, they are also now being explained Pradarshande. We shall now explain these also. Actually, they, you need not, they need not form the part of the main text. Main text is over. But these supplementary now topics are also being discussed because they are necessary. <coughs> so with this preliminary background, now the author has said Shravana, Manana, Nididhyasana and Samadhi. Shravana, hearing. Manana, reflection. Nidhyasana, meditation. Samadhi, absorption. This is how these are generally translated. But you must know the meaning of the words directly. Meaning translation is not adequate because every word has a connotation in our own mind. That hearing and reflection and meditation, each one of these words has a certain connotation in our mind. And therefore, these English words will not suffice. Even Sanskrit words don't suffice. Because Sanskrit words also have the connotation because they are also used by other people in other ways. So just as whenever an author writes a technical text, the author has to define the meaning of its own, his, 
he is alpha and beta and gamma and theta and this and that and so many terms are used many symbols are used and each one should define those symbols and terms as they mean and not what commonly other people may mean because the manner in which a particular symbol or a term may be utilized in a given text may be different from the manner in which it is commonly understood or utilized by others and so also we should know specifically so we will translate shravanam as hearing that's okay but what shravanam must be understood as shravanam therefore the author will spend enough time here to explain what is meant by shravanam <coughs> what is meant by mananam shravanam is a word derived from the root shru shru means to hear so shravanam means hearing mananam is a word derived from the root man man means to think so mananam means thinking nirdhyasanam is derived from the root dhyai dhyai means to meditate and the other nirdhyasanam means meditation and samadhi is samadha means very well placed or absorption so samadhi means absorption so all these words are commonly used and therefore they have common connotations but we should understand the sense in which these words are employed in vedanta and therefore the author takes time here to explain each of these terms shravanam said here shravanam nama shravanam nama षड्विधलिंगै षड्विधलिंगै अशेषवेदान्तानां अशेषवेदान्तानां अद्वितीयवस्तुने अद्वितीयवस्तुने तात्पर्य अवधारणम् तात्पर्य अवधारणम् shravanam nama what is known as shravanam is tatvarya avadharanam avadharanam ascertainment tatvarya of the purport tatvarya avadharanam tatvarya means purport again a translation what is tatvarya what is the purport of the text of vedanta what is it that the, the that vedanta the upanishad seek to convey what is the vision of the upanishads what is that the upanishads seek to convey or they seek to reveal that is called tatparya whenever we utter a sentence there is a tatparya there is something that we wish to convey through that sentence so what is sought to be conveyed what is in the mind of the one who uses the sentence and what that person wants to convey is more important than what the literal meaning of the words may be very often the literal meaning of the words is not sufficient for us to understand the tatparya or the purport and therefore it may be necessary to know the context and so a lot of other things may be necessary to understand in order to understand the meaning of one sentence the purport of a sentence can be understood only with reference to what preceded it and what followed in what context in what manner to what audience by whom this is said all of that consideration becomes necessary in order to understand tatparya or the purport of the statement so all of this becomes very important here because upanishads are nothing but a body of 
it's a, it's a body of knowledge in the form of words or the statements, sentences. And therefore it is necessary to understand how a sentence conveys this meaning. Therefore, most important thing about the sentence is Tatparya, purport. What is it that the Upanishads seek to convey? <coughs> Where is the Tatparya, the purport of the Upanishads? What is the subject matter of the Upanishads? What do they want to reveal? What is it that they are devoted to? The whole text is devoted to revealing what? You may write a whole thing here, 500 pages, okay. What is it, what is it, that was the theme? What is it that this 500 page text devoted to revealing? What is one central point that it makes that would be called Tatparya? And what is one thing that the Upanishads seek to convey? That would be called Tatparya. Tatparya means purport. Avadharanam. Avadharanam means ascertainment. Tatparya avadharanam. Ascertainment of the purport of Vedantanam, of the Vedanta. Vedanta means Upanishad. The very first statement of the text said, Vedanto nama Upanishad Pramanam. Vedanta means basically Upanishads. And the texts which are, uh, which are there in order to explain the Upanishads. So Vedantanam Tatpari Avadharanam. What is the, uh, the ascertainment of the purport of the Vedantas or Upanishads? Where is the, what is the, what is it the Upanishads seek to convey? Advitiya vastuni. That the Upanishads seek to convey Advitiya vastu. Vastu means the truth or reality. Advitiya means non-dual. Dvitiya the second. Advitiya non-second, non-dual. Advitiya vastu. That the Upanishads address themselves to. Our Upanishads are committed to or devoted to revealing the truth which is Advitiya, which is non-dual. Why do they use this word Advitiya? Why is this word non-dual so important? Because duality is our experience. What kind of duality? Duality between myself, Jiva and Ishvara, between individual and God, duality between the subject and object, myself and the world. Thus this duality is what we experience. <coughs> and that's where Upanishads has Upanishads have the primary cont- contribution to make that even though the duality or separation is a matter of our experience, still the truth is Advitiya, the non-dual. In fact there is no separation between you and Ishwara. There is no separation between you and the world that you perceive. There is no separation between anything and anything. Everything is non-separate from it. Meaning, everything is, has inherent content which is one truth or one, one reality. They would reveal this one reality that is in and through all the duality or diversity is the purport of the Upanishad or that is the wish, that is the truth or revealing that truth is what Upanishads are committed to. So therefore, to ascertain this truth, that the purport of the Upanishad is in revealing the truth that is non-dual. Seeing that fact, how do you ascertain it? When you see it yourself, really. So here, avadharanam ascertainment is, 
seeing this fact that the truth is advitiya, is non-dual. The self is non-dual. The self is, I is the self of all. I am not merely the self of this small limited individuality, but I am the self of all. The self that I am is in fact the universal self. I is the total, uh, uh, the, the basis of, you know, jagat karanam, the adhisthanam, substratum of the whole creation. That is what Upanishads want to reveal. Because I think that I am a small being, a limited being, so the Upanishads reveal that, that I is not limited, it is in fact the substratum of everything. To reveal this truth is what Upanishads are committed to. And seeing this truth is called Shravanam. So that process by which one sees this truth is called Shravanam. How is that process? How do you see the Tatparya, the purport? What is it that the Upanishads are devoted to or committed to? Shadvidalingahi. With the help of Shadvidalinga. Linga. Linga is Linam, Artham, Gamayati, Lingam. Ling and Ga. So try to explain that word. Linga is a symbol. Here, linga means a specific characteristic. Linga also sometimes means evidence. Linam artham gamayati That which enables us to see something which is hidden. That which enables us to see something that is not evident, something that is hidden is called linga. For example, when we see the smoke on that hillock, that smoke enables us to see this fact that there is fire. Because wherever the smoke is, fire must be. Thus, when we see the smoke, we gain the knowledge of fire. This smoke, therefore, Gamayadi, makes us see the presence of fire, which is hidden from our perception. I don't see fire. All I see is smoke, and that smoke enables, us, enables me to see the fire which is hidden from my side, therefore the smoke is called lingam. Our subtle body is called lingam, you know, subtle body which consists of the mind and the sense organs, etc. is called lingam, linga shariram. Why is that called lingam? Linam artham gamayati. That very subtle body, that very mind reveals something that is hidden from me otherwise. What does it reveal? The mind reveals the existence of a conscious principle. How does it reveal? Because we find that the mind, with the help of mind, we gain various forms of knowledge. We find that the mind reveals various objects. Mind itself is inert. And how can an inert thing reveal objects? Therefore we say, whenever an inert thing is found to be conscious or sentient, we know that a conscious principle must be there, blessing that. When we see a chariot running on the road, we know that the live horses must be drawing them. Or when we see a bus running on the road, we know that a conscious being such as a driver must be there. And so also, the mind which is inert also reveals the objects. That reveals the fact that the conscious principle must be there, which enables the mind to reveal its objects. So therefore, mind and our subtle body is also called linga sariram. So this is how the word linga is used. Here also the word linga means characteristic. 
that which enables me to see something which is not evident. So fire is not evident, the smoke enables me to see that. Similarly also, every text has certain characteristic marks, certain, certain characteristic signs, we look for them. And with the help of them, we determine what we call tatparya or the purport of the text. Said with the with the help of the sixfold characteristic signs or characteristic marks, Ashesha Vedantanam, all the Vedantas, not a one, not that some particular Upanishad has a tatparya or the purport in revealing the truth which is non-dual. Ashesha Vedantanam, all the Vedantas reveal one truth alone. This is very important. And that is the purpose of Brahma Sutra. Brahma Sutra's purpose is to to determine Gati Samanyat is Nyayamashritya. That is a sutra or aphorism in Brahma Sutra which is Gati Samanyat, meaning that all the Upanishads have their purport in revealing one truth only. This is a big thing because there are many who believe that different Upanishads can reveal different truths. One Upanishad reveals non-dual, other Upanishad reveals duality, some other Upanishad. So they feel that Upanishads independently talk about different things or they reveal the truth in different ways. It says, no, all the Upanishads are, that is called Upanishad, which is committed to revealing this truth which is non-dual. So, Ashesha Vedantanam, that's the reason why it is necessary to study many Upanishads also to make sure that each one of them reveals the same truth and to see that purport, Asesha Vedantanam Advitiya Vastuni Tatpari Avadharanam and that Vastu is Advitiya. Also, Brahma Sutra reveals this and it is clear from the study of Vedanta with the help of Shankarabhasya that Brahman cannot be qualified. Brahman inherently cannot be dual or qualified. That qualifications are something that is superimposed and Brahman inherently is unqualified and non-dual. To ascertain this truth is called Shravanam. <coughs> and therefore, to ascertain the purport of a text, the Shadvidalinga or the six characteristic signs become very important. What are those six characteristic signs which we should look for to ascertain the purport of a text is what is being discussed next, say the passage 183. Linganitu Linganitu Upakrama Upasamhara Abhyasa Apurvata Phala Arthavada Upapatta Upapatya Khyani Upapatya Khyani Linganitu so now coming to the linga or the characteristic signs. What are these? Upakrama upasamhara. That's one. So read the next passage also. Read the next passage. Taduktam upakrama upasamhara upakrama upasamhara abhyaso purvata phalam abhyaso purvata phalam Arthavado Bapatija Arthavado Bapatija Lingam Tat Parian in Lingam Tat Parian 
this is a verse that is uh, quoted from a Purana Upakramata Duktam it has been said Upakramapa Samharau Abhyasaha Apurvata Halam Arsavada Upatticha Lingam Tatpari Nirnaye In ascertaining Tatpari Nirnaye in ascertaining the meaning or the content or the purport Lingam the characteristic signs are Upakramapa Samharau Upakrama is beginning or introduction. Upasamhara is conclusion. So this beginning and conclusion are, is, is one. Actually this Upakrama and Upasamhara, beginning and conclusion of a text, that becomes one linga or one sign by which we can ascertain what the author wants to say. Because it is customary that whenever you want to present something, Elaborately, you will present in the beginning as an introduction. Briefly, you will you will uh, outline. So, a brief outline is always presented as an introduction to any text. So, author presents in brief. What is the subject matter of the text, or what is it the author wants to say? And usually, also a well-written text will, at the conclusion, also summarize. So in the beginning, in what we call Upakrama or introduction, we always provide a brief outline of the subject matter of the text. And in what we call Upasamha or conclusion, we always provide a summary of what has been written in the whole text. This is the usual method. So when you write theses and things like that, this is what they instruct you. And then that's the kind of instruction given to us. That even sometimes when you write a letter, you just write briefly what you're going to say if that's going to be a long thing. So that the reader can decide whether he wants to go through with it or not, you know. And a, but a text, for example, you want to know whether the subject matter interests you or not. So write in the preface itself, it is customary to describe what the content of the text is. That is called Upakrama and Upasamara is summarizing all that has gone in the text. The main theme is summarized. And then, so that summary the conclusion is called Upasamhara and the brief outline in, in the beginning or introduction is called Upakrama and there must be concurrence between them. Not that you started talking about one thing and you ended up with something else. In which case, there is no, there is no consistency in the text. So if there is a one consistent idea that is unfolded in the whole text, then you will automatically find certain characteristic signs. Even in a typical class also, if one, consi- one idea is consistently unfolded, then you find the teacher starting with an idea and summarizing at the end. If it's a continuous thing, then you have to see the whole text. But if an idea is consistent, that's what a text is meant for, is to unfold or to convey one idea. And therefore, the writer, author or the speaker is always consistent. And then you see, look for the consistency. There are six signs for those that consistency. First sign is called Upakrama Upasamhara. The beginning or introduction and the conclusion or the summary. That they will refer to the same theme which is sought to be conveyed. So that's the first linga. <coughs> then Abhyasa. Abhyasa is repetition. That's another characteristic. See, this is how our mind functions. 
and that is how our mind grasps also. We always have, whenever we want to convey something which is dear to us or which is, you know, dear to our heart that you want to say. So something that you want to very much communicate, you will find yourself repeating it in one form or the other in the, in the process of conversation or in the process of communication. So the text may be very big, but the theme that is sought to be conveyed you will find being repeated again and again. Because that is very, very immediate in the mind of the speaker. That's what the speaker wants to convey. And when we also listen or read, our mind also goes in for that which is repeated. Usually repetition is considered to be a defect. Tautology, you know, it's, it's a defect. But in scriptures, repetition is not the defect in as much as this is a very subtle theme and therefore it needs to be repeated. Not repeated verbatim, but the theme is repeated in different ways, in different words or from different standpoints or in different ways in order to convey the idea. Since what is to be conveyed is something extremely subtle and extremely difficult to grasp, therefore the teacher generally conveys it in different ways. And therefore, in Vedanta, as well as in other texts also, we find that the main idea or the main theme that is thought to be conveyed is repeated. Repeated means, is mentioned again and again and again in different ways, the same thing is mentioned. Suppose you have gone to seek donation, you know, from somebody. Then you talk a lot of things, how are you doing and weather is good and you know, all sorts of things you talk about, socializing. Your purpose is to seek donation. So, you will actually connect this idea of donation in different ways. We have a temple and we have this activity going on and we offer different programs and temple that one can sponsor an Abhisheka. Or we have this resident school here and we have so many residents there and therefore they expand this so much so one can sponsor, pay for a day, you know, whatever it is. So if this person has gone there for donation, then even through the conversation which may meander in different ways, this theme of donation will be brought up again and again in one way or the other. Either the same words are repeated or the same theme is repeated in different words. So this is what we commonly do because that is very dear to my heart and that is what I want to convey. Other things are merely the garb in which this thing is sought to be conveyed. And so also Upanishads seek to convey this Advitiya Vastu or this truth that is non-dual and therefore we find that theme repeated in different ways in the Upanishads that repetition is called Abhyasa. Repetition is not repeating the same words, repeating the same theme. Sometimes the words are repeated but generally the theme is repeated in different words or the theme is presented from different standpoints that is called Abhyasa. Then Apurvata, of course the author himself is going to explain this. Apurvata, Apurvata is originality. Apurvam, something that is original. <coughs> and so, Upanishads, every text has to convey something that is original, otherwise you would not write that. Why does a person write a book? Because a person has something original to convey. You can't copy somebody's book and then, you know, that's, that, you may do that, that's a different thing. But in any intelligent communication, or when, when somebody writes, 
then there is always it's written because you want to convey something that you want to convey something that is original which has not been available elsewhere that's called apurvata Upanishads also seek to convey that theme which is not available to know anywhere else or it will understand we will see also apurvata here means Upanishads seek to reveal the truth which cannot be known by any other means of knowledge and that is why Upanishads have the apurvata or originality that's called apurvata originality so we look for that what is the specific thing that this one wants to convey you know that's apurvata phalam phalam is a result so there is always a result meaning the prayojanam the purpose why why do you want to convey this suppose upanishads seek to convey that the, the reality that is non-dual what does it mean to us is any relevance of the truth in our life do I seek to gain a benefit by knowing this? Because we are utilitarian. And therefore, whenever you want to study something or spend time and energy after any pursuit, the first question that one wants to know, ask is, one asks is, what is the purpose? What do I, what do I uh, stand to gain by this? So that gain or the purpose or the result or the benefit, that also must be very clear in the text itself. So you will say that if you gain this knowledge, this will happen. If you study this, you will get this. And that is called phalam. And that also is mentioned by the text. As to what is the phalam or the result. In order to convey the relevance of the text to the reader. <coughs> Arthavada is eulogy. Eulogy means praise. It will explain that also what is dear in our heart, what is it that we want, we always praise something that you want to convey. You know, suppose you want to go and convey to somebody, you want to impress upon people the need to study Bhagavad Gita. Suppose you are out there to talk about the Bhagavad Gita home study course, you know, that we are offering a Bhagavad Gita home study program. Then you will praise Bhagavad Gita in reference to other texts. Vedanta, Vedanta is not merely Bhagavad Gita. Vedanta has many texts. But of all these scriptural texts, you will praise Bhagavad Gita because that is what you want to convey. So what you want to convey, there is always a tendency on the part of the person to praise the theme that he wants to convey. And very often, we also indulge into condemning the opposite. So if you want to convey the, the truth that is Advitiya, non-dual, then you will praise how the knower of Advitya, how the knower of Brahman becomes Brahman, how he becomes limitless, how he becomes free. And on the other hand, how does not know Brahman, how he remains bound, how he goes from one birth to another birth, how he remains, you know, within the samsara. So, what you want to convey is praised or eulogized and opposite is often criticized or condemned. This is a style also that we commonly employ and you know, these days in the commercials all we find that Tylenol, what is Tylenol is uh, better than such and such. You know, they even get, give the name. These days, some I saw in the cereal box also that our cereal so and so is better than Kellogg's such and such cereal, you know. <laughs> that our then is praise the cereal. Fiber free, cholesterol free, sodium free, sugar free, this free, that free. Not fiber free, but rich in fiber I should say cholesterol free 
and thus you keep on praising this and so that is arthavada praising your own product at the same time you may also condemn somebody else's look this fellow has this cholesterol and that fellow has that sodium and etc and that's how you want to put down something and you want to uh, or highlight what you want to say so that highlighting is done by praising what you want to convey that is called arthavada that is also what we commonly do and that's also what is found in the text Upanishads <coughs> and Upapattihi Upapatti means reasoning that a logical reasoning also must be provided I mean that yes the truth is non-dual does it make sense? yes Upanishad also will convey how that alone makes sense maybe you cannot prove that but then you find that Accepting the truth as non-dual alone will make sense. That alone will explain the life. So, upapattihi, upapattihi means reasoning. Here it says demonstration, but reasoning. So, every text also will present the reasoning as to why what it says is true. So, logical explanation or logical reasoning also is provided. So, this is what we call the sixfold, the sixfold characteristic sign which enable us to ascertain tatparya or the purport of any text. <coughs> Every text may not have all the six. Some texts have all the six, some have more less than six. Some may have only one or two of these characteristic signs and some have up to six. But then one or more of these characteristic signs enable us to ascertain the tatparya or the purport of a text. And with the help of that, deliberating upon the text and seeing this fact that this is what the text seeks to convey and seeing the truth is called Shravanam <coughs> okay Om Puranamadav Puranamidam Puranat Puranamudachyate Puranasya Puranamadaya Puranameva Vashishyade Om Shanti 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 Shankaram Shankaracharyam Keshavam Vadarayanam Sutra Bhashya Krutavande Bhagavantau Punafpunaha Ishvaro Gururatmedi Murti Bheda Vibhagine Vyoma Vadvyapta Dehaya Dakshina Murtaye Namaha Om Shanti 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 Hari Om Shri Guru Namaha Hari Om